Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the in-season podcast with PLL Chaos head coach, Andy Towers. How are we doing, Andy? I'm above average fighting off coronavirus successfully so far. I think my system is, I'm thinking 35 years of really being committed to a good time has created a foundation to uh, ward off these big time minor league health scares. (laughs) That's good. Keep those hands clean. Don't touch your face. (laughs) Cleanest thing on my body. (laughs) Listen, that's not a positive my hands. It's a negative my body. Dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth anyway. <laughs> the in-season podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time. Oxia Time is a watch company started and founded by John Canaris. John was the goalie at Penn in 1988, brought his team to the Final Four. Uh, he was actually MVP of the, um, of the championship Brown State team at Lake Placid last summer. Um, but he was also the guy that was actually dunked on by Gary Gate in the original Air Gate. Um, these watches are sick. Andy and I both have one. Um, we have our brown lacrosse watches. Um, John started off doing just Ivy League watches, but now he's getting contracts with just about every major school. In fact, he just did a championship watch for LSU in their national championship, which is pretty sick, isn't it, Andy? Uh, it's very sick. Um... It's probably the nicest thing that I'm behind the dragon <laughs> and maybe behind Frank Towers. It actually might be slightly ahead of Frank Towers, but it's, it's those are the top three, the dragon, my Oxytime watch and Frank with a C towers. Golden <laughs> team machine, golden team machine. And the golden team machine. Yeah. That's it. Golden team machine's number two. It's dragon, golden team machine, Frank Towers, Oxytime watch. It's pretty high on the list. I mean, there's like hundreds of things on that list. Yeah, but only four or five get my attention on a daily basis. Anyways, um, OxyTime is, uh, they're really interested in championships, league championships, national championships, getting a watch um, that will be the, the same kind of quality as the memory of that championship and of your institution. Um, it's, uh, it's really cool stuff. Lars Tiffany got one for uh, Virginia last year when they won the championship. Um, I listened to a voicemail actually that he sent to uh, John where he was like, he brought it into the jeweler and the jeweler was like, man, this thing is so heavy. You can tell the quality, um, which I agree. It's pretty sick. And uh, UPenn got one for their championship. So um, think about it, everybody. Awesome watches. Me and Andy love ours. Um, so now we're going to move on. If, to if, you didn't, if you didn't win, so Oxy Time's interested in championships. So like for teams that don't win championships, do they just go like with swatches? Just like the, the worst watches, flimsy, really light watches. Yeah, the kinds that basically, um, when they stop, they still work two times a, two times a day. Swatches, remember swatches? <laughs> I would, remember the huge phase of swatches. Swatches are so light. Yeah, so poorly made. Locally made. Oxytime, A-X-I-A, Oxia time.com is where you get more information. These Swiss watches are awesome. Um, you'll really love them. So each week, Andy and I um, have decided we're going to uh, touch on the topic, chat about it a little bit before we get into AT's top 20. So recently I did a podcast with uh, my boy Matt Rowley from 3D New England on reclassing. And um, reclassing is one of, those, one of those topics that you know, really gets people interested, pissed off, fired up, bitter, uh, all of the above. I just got off a phone call with, uh, with Mike Boyle, actually. Mike Boyle, the strength coach, Mike Boyle. And he was like, it's cheating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, well, I mean, it's, it's not cheating if it's not a rule. But he's like, well, there should be a rule. And I was like, well, yeah, there probably should be. But there isn't a rule. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, where do you draw the line? In hockey, they do draw a line. They have you know, you have to be born on, you know, a certain date to be able to be in that year. Um, and so in lacrosse, it's not like that. But what's your take on reclassing, AT? 
Well, let me just lead off by saying I did a PG year at Lawrenceville um, and my brother did a PG year at Choate. And so, um, you know, I'm aware of what it can do for you. But listen, I, I, I'm in favor of anything that maximizes a person's ability to attend the best academic school possible that also has an address up, has the opportunities in the areas of personal interest for that particular person, right? Both my brother and I were able to leverage the opportunity of a PG year to get ourselves to Brown, which neither of us would have gotten that opportunity if we had not done that. If you had not done the pretty good year? That's right. If I wasn't pretty good, I wouldn't have gotten there. Um, and so I, I certainly understand the benefits. I think where the, the rub is for certain parents is when certain other parents have their kids repeat grades to dominate youth sports, not even high school sports, but youth right. sports. That's, that's the rub, right? I mean, nothing is more irritating than some entitled loser family having their kid repeat, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade so that they can make the A team against kids that, you know, are a full year to two years younger than them. That's, that's the grind. That's the, that's the rub, right? Um, but if a kid is A, really young for his grade, I don't see any problem with that. If, um, you know, if they do a year at the end of high school and it's to get their grades up, I don't see any problem with that. But certainly to repeat your kid when he's young for no other visible reason than to dominate youth sports, that is, uh, that's, that's what pisses people off. And, and I understand that and agree with it. Yeah, I do. I, I agree with that also. And I, but I also think that like, you know, people should be able to do whatever they want. They can. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the other people have to be happy about it. <laughs> There's value. So you and I, you and I like discussed this briefly just before we started this podcast and you made the statement. Um, well, what was your statement? That every time, right? Oh, the statement was that you would be a better prospect in the next class down because you would be comparatively better um, as a 23 than you would be as a 22. For you, Andy, you might have been better as a 87, uh, 88 than an 87 every time was my statement. Right. And, and I would agree with that statement if you had used most of the time. And you know what? My example that I was going to speak about is usually you're correct. Assuming that from a general standpoint, especially in high school, the kids are going to be less physically mature. Right. You're younger than you than your current grade. Now, where I would argue that it's not every single time would be if one class is substantially better than the next class, for instance, right? This year's college seniors, T, Sowers, Amen, Aiken, Krause, all of those guys, that class is this, that class is widely regarded as arguably the best college graduating class in terms of quality of men's lacrosse players, maybe in the history of college lacrosse. Okay, hold on, hold please, hold please, okay? Now last year's class certainly had some great players, but who's to say that when those two respective classes just five years ago were juniors and seniors in high school, that if one of the kids repeated, reclassified down to the class with Teat and Sowers and Amit and those guys, it, they might potentially not be as attractive or highly regarded prospect under that extreme example. That's my only point. Yeah. Well, all I was going to say is Kraus was a 2015 that became a 2016 and is now a senior as a reclass. Yep. Yep. And so is T. 
But that said, I think your point is well taken in the sense- The possibility of, of it, right? Not every class is gonna be equal, right? So one class might be stronger than the next for whatever reason, maybe because there was more reclasses in the in this senior class in college, yeah. but whatever, um, my statement wasn't necessarily relative to, are you the best in the class, but you are overall just a higher level prospect. That was the statement I was making. And I believe that's, that's pretty much always true. And I think I wouldn't say pretty much always is, is. All right. I'm going to say always true. Okay. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's always true. I think it's most of the time true. I think that there are exceptions, you know, you, and, it, and, it, and it's usually positionally, it's never across the board. You could definitely get away with that statement from a more general standpoint. You know, let's just say you're talking about goalies or fogos or, you know, a smaller sample size. You could be the third best fogo in the senior class, but the class behind you might have 10 unbelievable fogos. And now all of a sudden you're the 12th, you know, yeah. the 11th in that class. It, it, that, that example, the exception of the rule could happen in that um, more often. But I, I, I agree with you from a general standpoint. Um, you know, but I, but I would say this, Jamie, that it is definitely an advantage almost all of the time in the recruiting process. Yeah. But by the time they become college players, that perceived difference it's is like, completely diluted. It is. At the end I, of your college career. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is I'd, I'd rather have a 23-year-old senior than a 22-year-old senior or a 20-year-old freshman than a 19-year-old freshman if I could. And I'd rather have, like Jeff Snyder was a 25-year-old senior. Would you rather have a 23-year-old senior that has an attention span deficiency and goes out six nights a week <laughs> or a 21-year-old senior who has a 3-4 in microbiology and is just a beast in the weight room and, and works on his game all the time? Is the senior that goes out six times um, a first-team All-American caliber player? That's not totally clear. <laughs> all right we're moving on to the AT top 20 um it was a uh amazing weekend of games um we're not going to get into them now because we're going to get into them during the top 20 but let's start off with number 20 lehigh at five and one yeah uh i will echo that sentiment what an unbelievable weekend of games uh this was uh you know i'm looking at this lehigh's five and one they've beaten utah vmi NJIT, Navy and Holy Cross. So no top 10 wins, no top 20 wins, no wins. They're only, you know, quality game. They've played one top 20 team. That's Virginia. They lost 12-8. You know, their body of work is still to be determined. They play their second top 20 team, Army, this week. If they win, they'll stay in my top 20. If they lose, they'll be out. I got them at 20, hanging on for dear life. Bucknell at 5-1 and one at number 19. Not, not too dissimilar to Lehigh, almost identical. Their wins are Furman, Bryant, uh, Sacred Heart, Binghamton, Marist. No wins. Marist is the closest to a win, but not a win. Uh, you know, like Lehigh played Virginia, Bucknell's played Ohio State. They lost by four goals. We'll find out more about Bucknell in the exact team, same situation as Lehigh. They got Loyola this weekend. We're going to find out. If they win, they're going to be in the top 20 firmly. And if they lose, they'll probably be out. Number 18, Ohio State bounces back with a win over Hofstra. Yep. Four and two. They've, they've, they've looked poor at times. They've looked good at times. They don't have any top 20 wins either. And while they beat Hofstra and they beat Bucknell, um, you know, in terms of the U.S. ILA poll, they don't have any top 20 wins. But they do have two top 20 losses. One goal lost to Cornell. Two goal lost to UMass. They play Notre Dame, I think, on Tuesday. If they win that, they're going to go way up. And if they don't, they, they may be at risk of, of dropping down. However, if they lose that game, they'll have two, three top 20 losses. So I, I, still, think, I still think they're a team that's better than 18, but their resume doesn't uh, demand a higher spot. Number 17, Loyola. Just like the other four teams behind them, Loyola – you know, they've beaten Hopkins, Rutgers, Towson, and Lafayette. Two, three years, the last two, three, four years, they'd have three top 20 wins, which would be Hopkins, Rutgers, and Towson. But all three are having down years. And they have two top 20 losses, three goals to Virginia, three goals to Duke. I think they're a very good team. 
um, but they don't have any wins over a top 20 team. So it's tough to rank them any higher than 17. They are four and two. They play Bucknell this week. Uh, it's a big game for them. They need to win, and Bucknell is scary. I wouldn't be surprised if Bucknell beat them. All right, number 16, Army. Now we start to enter teams that are more deserving of their respective spot. So we start at 16, number Army, 6-2. and two. Their only top 20 win is over UMass, who they pounded first game of the year, 17-4. to four. They've been riding that for a while, beating – Five other unranked teams, kind of lowly teams, NJIT, Holy Cross, Binghamton, Lafayette, Rutgers, I wouldn't say as lowly, although they pounded them 15-4. to four. They played Syracuse tight, but they lost. Um, and they also have what now I would consider a bad loss with the team that's out of the top 20 in Marist. Um, so really, they're, they're at 16 on the strength of their win over UMass which is becoming a better and better win as UMass's season becomes more and more successful. They play Lehigh coming up next, and they need to win this game. This is going to be an opportunity for, for another top 20 win here and probably knocks Lehigh out of the top 20 if they are able to do it. Number 15, the two and three Penn Quakers. Yeah, this is a team that, you know, is, is, has to be frustrated with where they are. You know, they've, they've played a really strong strength of schedule. They've played five games. Four of them have been top 20 teams, but they've only beaten one of them, which was Duke. Um, you know, their second win was yesterday against St. Joe's, and it was a back-and-forth battle. It came all the way down to the last, you know, minute of the game, and they were able to score really, really late to break a 13-13 tie and, and beat them. But they have three losses, you know. And while there are three really good teams that they've lost to, Maryland by two goals, Penn State by one goal, Villanova by three goals. They're still two and three with only one top 20 win. They play Princeton next. That's going to be a war. That sets up well for Penn. It really does because I think Penn is a much better team than their record would indicate. And Princeton coming uh, into the game with a really, really great start to their season. I believe there's a lot of pressure on Princeton in this game, and it's going to be really fun to watch. But I can't, in my uh, right senses, put Penn any higher than 15 at this point. They're really missing Sam Hamill. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I think there's going to be more and more pressure on Princeton down, you know, as the season goes on, actually. Absolutely. Because, you know, they, they, this is like their year, you know. When it's your year and it's like, man, this is our year, um, you know, it can be hard to make, a, make, make the tournament unless you just win every game. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you kind of have to do. You're right, but it wasn't their year coming in. They weren't even a preseason top 20 ranked team. Mm -hmm. And on the strength of their, and we'll get to them, but on the strength of their win against Virginia, yeah. uh, you know, we've all raised our expectations for them, and deservedly so. But, but I don't think the pressure has been on them very much. I do think it was against Hopkins, but I don't think it, I think they're too good, you know, to, to lose to teams that are sort of, Outside of that, um, I just say because Mike, Mike Michael Sowers is, is such a um, generational talent, and I think agreed. on on because he, everybody wants to see that kid go to the tournament. Yep. All right, so number fourteen, Georgetown, six and zero. Yeah, Georgetown um, to me is no losses away from being in the same group as Bucknell, Lehigh, Hobart. Um, you know, they're 6-0. They haven't beaten anybody. They haven't played anybody, right? They've beaten Lafayette, UMBC, Fairfield, Mount St. Mary's, Bellarmine, and Towson. And while they've been uh, a juggernaut offensively and they've held town teams down defensively, you know, they have not played a quality opponent yet. And that changes in their next game against Carolina. We're going to find out a lot about Georgetown uh, in that game. And so I've got them ranked at 14 because they're 6-0, but they haven't played anybody, so they're, they're not going to get any, any higher ranked on my list until they, uh, until they get a top 20 win. For sure. All right, so uh, number 13, Notre Dame, 2-2. Two two. Notre Dame, uh, you know, their season, their ranking is resting on that win, 13-5 to five over Richmond, which is a top 20 win. They've only played four games. Um, you know, they, they lost to Maryland by five. They lost to Denver by three. You know, they have to be disappointed with the play of, of Charles Leonard, who we love as a player, but he, he got his ass kicked at the X on Saturday by Denver after getting his ass kicked by Shockey the week before that. And, and, and Notre Dame needs to have face-off success in order to win. 
I, and, and they just haven't had that in their two losses. And they've got OSU coming back or coming up next game on Tuesday with Justin Ignacio, who may be the best face-off guy that they've seen to date. And it's a very scary team. This is a scary game for Notre Dame. If they don't win this game against Ohio State, they're probably going to be out of the top 20 next week for me. Number 12, Villanova at four and three. Villanova, it is just, uh, you know, wow. Uh, that's all I can say. I watched them play in a half-lit field, or at least, that, at least that's the way it looked on television, Friday night against UPenn. And it was a great game back and forth. Penn jumped up on them, I think, three-zip or four-zip, maybe even was up 5-1. Uh, and Villanova came storming back and, and, and won the game and won it pretty, pretty thoroughly, in my opinion. Uh, I was really, really impressed with their offense, really impressed with the range of Kirst. They just, they just went toe-to-toe with a really uh, deep, established team like Penn, and they beat them. And then you look at their resume now, they have a, a one-goal win over Maryland and a two-goal win over Penn. They've also beaten Hofstra and Delaware. And they have their only two losses are Penn State and Yale. While they got blitzed in both of those games, um, well, I should say they also lost yesterday to Drexel 15-12. to um, but still, they have two top 20 wins. They've got two top 20 losses. And they have one what I would consider bad loss in Drexel outside the top 20. With Fairfield next, I think they're going to be 5-3 and three with two top 20 wins. I like them at 12. They would have been um, probably in the top nine if they hadn't lost to Drexel. But they did lose to Drexel, which, um, you know, is, is a tough loss for them. But doesn't take away the fact that they do have two top 20 wins. All right, number 11, Virginia at four and two. Yeah. Lost to our alma mater. Yeah. Um, You know, Virginia got off to a great start. They beat Loyola and Lehigh the first two games uh, of the season, both still top 20 wins, which is great for them, uh, in addition to wins over High Point and Air Force. But they have a loss to Princeton, which is a good loss, so to speak, as they're, you know, very highly ranked. And they had a bad loss yesterday to Brown. 14 to 13 at Brown and, and, and Brown played harder than Virginia. Uh, I sent Lars a text after the, after the game, just to recognize the fact that Virginia didn't have to come to Providence to play this game. Um, and they, and, and, and he took them up there anyways. Yeah. Uh, you know, Virginia, like uh, some of these other teams across the country, if they want, they can demand that these teams come to them every time. And the fact that Lars is willing to do that, uh, you know, he, he helped Mike Daly and Brown. He pushed the game ahead by bringing such a high-profile program into the New England, into the Providence area for everybody to see. Um, you know, and obviously on a beautiful day with Brown's new, uh, you know, stadium and everything, it was a, it, the momentum was, was, was firmly with Brown going into this game, and Virginia jumped all over him, I think was up 8-3 at one point, but then the game turned. And, and to Brown's credit, they ended up playing a great game. And outplayed him and deserved to win the game. You know, Phil Goss was phenomenal, but their offense, they also played hard. They beat him when the ball was on the ground. Um, you know, and, and so now you look at Virginia's resume, and they got two top 20 wins over two sort of low top 20 teams in Loyola and Lehigh. I have them below 15, both of those teams at 17 and 20 respectively. And their losses are to Princeton and to Brown out of the top 20. So tough to rank Virginia any higher than 11. I think that's where they deserve to be right now. They need to, they need to fix some things. That more was great though. Yeah. Well, luckily they've got a, a heck of a schedule coming up where they're going to be able to uh, get some, get some opportunities. For yeah. Big- um, all right, number 10, Denver. They're coming off what I would consider – I wouldn't call it must-win for Denver this past game against Notre Dame, but it was a huge opportunity um, in the, in the out-of-conference um, category. Yeah, you and I referenced this during last week's podcast about this game being a little bit more meaningful to Denver than it was for Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a top-20 win, has a top-20 win over Richmond, but Denver did not. Denver had only beaten Air Force, St. Bonnie's, and Cleveland State going into this – Notre Dame game and had two identical losses to Duke and Carolina, 15-3 or 15-13 apiece. 
they haven't they don't have any bad losses so this game was big and, and to their credit they were able to get it now they have a top 20 win to go with two top 20 losses no bad losses with ohio state as their next game uh you know next saturday this is uh this is a great opportunity for denver to really solidify its out of conference uh you know resume and 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 put them in the hunt for an at large should they not win the big east outright okay um number nine umass at four and two yeah umass um had a great win over albany this week 17 to 12 that was accentuated when you looked at the maryland albany game being a one goal game umass is playing really really well right now you look at their resume they're four and two two wins over top 20 teams ohio state by two goals yale by three goals they have a top 20 loss to Army where they got crushed, but it's still only one loss. And they have that bad loss to Harvard, which might not end up being a bad loss if Harvard continues to win. But still, they're out of the top 20 right now. And so looking at UMass's record, four and two, two top 20 wins, one top 20 loss, one bad loss. Um, but again, the strength of the, of the win over Yale, um, to me, I, I like them at nine at four and two. They got a pretty good resume. Number eight, Penn State at four and two. Yeah, Penn State, four and two. Um, you know, they, they, they've come back to earth a little bit. Both of their wins are over top 20 teams, two Philly teams in Villanova by nine goals and Penn by one. They also have beaten Lafayette and St. Joe's. St. Joe's win may hold up. Let's see what happens there. Uh, and they've got two losses, to two Ivy League teams, Yale and Cornell. They lost to Yale by two and they lost to Cornell by one. The Cornell Yale game was at the Penn State Cornell game was unbelievable yesterday. I watched it start to finish, and I, you know I thought that Penn State would win the game because I thought Gerard Arcieri would dominate the faceoff X. But to the credit of um, uh, Strathakis, or how, I don't know how you pronounce the kid's name, uh, that kid dominated the faceoffs for Cornell, and Cornell's offense proved unstoppable, as you and I have said many times throughout this early spring. And they went way up on him. And then Jeff Tambrody makes the change at the X, puts that kid, uh, you know, in there. And, and they start to have some success in the middle of the field. And then they show that their offense is unstoppable. Um, not surprised that the game came down to the wire. Uh, a little bit surprised that Cornell won. I honestly thought that Penn State would get it done, but they didn't. But still, they have no bad losses. They have only two top 20 losses to two of the best teams in the country, and they have two quality wins. Eight is a good spot for them. Number seven, Duke at five and two. Yeah, you know, Duke got off to their slow start the first week with their loss to Air Force, and all they've done since then is beat ranked teams. <laughs> you know, they've got three top 20 wins right now over uh, Denver by two, Richmond by one, Loyola by three. Their only uh, top 20 loss is to Penn. And then they obviously have that anchor around their neck with Air Force. But still, they do have three top 20 wins. Only Maryland is the only other team with three top 20 wins right now. So Duke, I have, is the highest-ranked two-goal loss team um, or two-loss team in my, uh, in my top 20. I have them at seven, five, and two, and they're worthy. How do you define top 20 based on the, the top 20 is defined by if last weeks. So going in to this past weekend's game. So by when we do this podcast, we do it at 11 a.m. on Monday. And at that point, the new top 20 poll is out. I use the week before because those are um, relative to that week. Weeks. Has to be like that. Got it. Perfect. I just wanted to confirm that. Okay, so um, number six, Yale at three and one. Yeah, uh, they've got a great resume. You know, they've played an unbelievable schedule. They have two top twenty, three and one. They have two top twenty wins over Nova and Penn State. Two huge wins, right? They also beat Michigan on Saturday night by six, and their lone losses to UMass thirteen to ten. While they were getting blown out, they came back a little bit at the end. Doesn't really matter. UMass is a good loss. Um, and they have no bad losses, no losses to teams outside of the top 20. And their next game is Cornell, which is going to be an absolute war. I have on the second ranked one loss team in my poll. Um, number five, Maryland at four and one. Yeah, I could argue Maryland could be number one. And I could have argued this last week. The only teams ahead of Maryland are undefeated. And we'll cover those in a minute. But Maryland's my top ranked 
one goal or one lost team. They, they have three top 20 wins, right? They have Richmond by one. They have Penn by two. They have Notre Dame by five. They also beat Albany Fort by a goal on Saturday, and they've beaten High Point, right? They have one loss to Villanova, which is no longer a bad loss. It's a good loss is they're now firmly in the top 20. So three top 20 wins, one top 20 loss, no bad losses, four and one. This team, you know, could be anywhere in the top five and could arguably be one, but I've got them five simply because they do have a loss. Uh, I can't wait for the Virginia game next Saturday. That's going to be a war. Um, number four, Syracuse at five and oh. A lot of people have this team ranked one. I just don't see how you can rank them number one. I, I, I you know, I, I can see them at four. I've got them the lowest ranked of all uh, of the undefeated teams that have a top 20 win. Georgetown does not. That's why they're not in that group. Um, but Syracuse has only one top 20 win. That's Army at nine and seven, right? Army's ranked 16th in my poll. The other wins for Syracuse have been Colgate, Binghamton, Hobart, and, and, and Hopkins. So they only have one. They've only played one ranked team. They have no losses, obviously. Rutgers is next. They don't deserve a spot higher than four. They don't because their only win is against number 16 Army, the worst top 20 win out of the teams that are undefeated that have top 20 wins. Princeton, number three, at 5-0. and oh. They're the next most deserving. Uh, you know, look, their only win is Virginia. And Virginia losing to Brown yesterday knocks the quality of that win down a little bit. They're sitting at 5-0. and oh. They've beaten Virginia 12. You know, they beat Virginia by four. Their other wins are Hopkins, which is having a tough year. Rutgers, having a tough year. Colgate and Monmouth, right? They have no losses, but they only have one win over Virginia. And Virginia right now, I have them ranked at 11. So tough to rank Princeton uh, ahead of the two teams ahead of them, but easy to rank them ahead of Syracuse. All right. And uh, number two, North Carolina at 6-0. and Right. So North Carolina, again, they only have one top 20 win. That's to Denver, 15-13. Um, but Denver, ranked number 10 on my list, is a better win than Virginia. So they're ahead of Princeton. And it's a better win than Army. So they're ahead of Syracuse. We're going to find out uh, more about them next weekend when they play Georgetown, who's also undefeated. But they got to worry about Bryant first. I think they're going to pound Bryant. And I hope they do. Um, and it's going to set up well for next weekend's game versus Georgetown. We're going to find out a lot about both of those teams in that game. But Carolina's win over Denver, to me, is a better win than Princeton's over Virginia and Syracuse's over Army. So I got them ranked two. Fair. All right, number one, the Cornell Big Red at 5-0, and coming off a massive win. What a great game. Um, pretty amazing to look at the fact that leads are not safe in the shot clock era. No, it, it doesn't. And it, and it suits their style of play. They're, they're like, they play as close to how PLL teams play as any team in the country. Their interior passing, you can't replicate in practice, right? They're getting good goaltending. They're getting, when they get good face-off play, they could win the national championship. There's no doubt in my mind. They're a team offensively that's simply unstoppable. Um, and you look at their resume, they've got two huge wins back-to-back -back in Ohio State by a goal last Sunday and Penn State by a goal yesterday. And they have no losses. So they have two top 20 wins. They have no losses. They got Yale next, which is going to be an absolute war. Uh, and if they can compete at the X, they don't have to win 50%, but if they can win 40%, I think Cornell's offense is, is better than Yale's offense. And, uh, you know, I, 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 would, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cornell win this game unless TD dominates them, you know, at, at a rate of 65-plus. Then I just think that they're going to play too much defense, and Yale's offense is very good, but I don't think it's quite as good as Cornell's. Um, and so Cornell, listen, they, they deserve the spot. They do. They got, they got two top 20 wins, no losses. And uh, they looked apart. The it was pretty impressive to jump out to whatever it was, a nine-goal lead, um, and then to be able to have the ability to go down with just less than a minute left in a game and come back and win it. I mean, normally, the kind of when the 
when the tide swings like that and you give up that huge of a lead, it literally just, it can be so deflating for a team, but they just kind of hung in there. And then Jeff T ties the game, short stick on him. They get a little switch. He dodges, no slide. He, he re-dodged like five times until he finally got his left hand and scored it. Yeah. Uh, would you have slid on that or would you have left him on the island? In hindsight, I would have slid, but you know, if he slid, he would have gotten a dunk. He's unbelievable, man. I mean, I, I do think, though, that his supporting cast has allowed us to truly appreciate what he's so good at. Yes. You know, he's, he doesn't play like Michael Savage. He's a different player than him. Yep. Um, and you can't really compare the two. I, I, I don't think you can. Too bad they can't play together. That would be really fun to watch, those two. But he, he's so unbelievably poised and unrattleable. Um, you know, and, and it's great to see him in his senior year be off to such a great start. I, I'd love to see them. Win. I, I, well, listen, I want Brown to win the national championship. <laughs> but if they can't, I, I, you know, I'd love to see Jeff Teague go out with the national championship. And it, it could happen. Um, you know, and I, I root for a lot of the coaches and I root for a lot of teams. I always root for the Ivy League teams. Certainly am jaded in that respect. Um, root for Brown the most. But this is a team that I, I, I love to see Cornell successful. I love the culture surrounding their program. It's a no-excuses environment where these guys, um, you know, really put the team success ahead of their own success. And it, it seems like it's always been that way with Cornell. And this team is as unselfish uh, you know, as there is in the country, just watching them play. Yeah, so fun to watch. Yeah. All right, time for the Oxia Time Player of the Week. So I'll go first. Okay. Reed Bowering, Coquitlam, BC native, scored six and one in a huge win of Drexel over Villanova. Huge win for Volks, huge win for their program to get them going. And this kid, the crazy thing is, is he's a defender in box. And he oh. is starting lefty attackman for Drexel, and he scores six goals. And he's going to be probably next year, you watch, he'll be in the top three draft picks in the NLL draft as a defenseman. Wow. Yeah, I know Volks loves that guy. Um, better kid. He's, he's an even better kid than he is a player. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's important to all the moms out there with daughters that are looking for their daughters to be married off to a quality person. Um, for me, uh, I've got to go with uh, Alex Petrakis, or Angelo Petrakis, I'm sorry. The face-off specialist for Cornell uh, did a great job of competing in the middle of the field against a really great face-off duo in Arcieri and um, Jake Glatz and scored two goals, including the game winner with eight seconds left. And also scored one to sort of uh, stagnate the momentum that Penn State had in the fourth quarter, really stepped up big time on this, the, this weekend's biggest stage. This was, the, this was the biggest game of the weekend, number two Penn State versus number five Cornell, as it relates to the U.S. ILA rankings. And for him to score the game winner with eight seconds left after neutralizing an unbelievable faceoff duo at Penn State, uh, you know, he gets my oxy of time player of the week. Love it. All right, so let's talk about next week's matchups and do some picks here. So it's going to be a huge week, and there's going to be a lot of uh, – it's going to be a lot of movement in the poll based on the results. So Movement. Uh, movement is such a rush. What? Movement is such a rush. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? It really is. I know, I know it is. <laughs> All right, midweek, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Yeah, this is going to be a this is going to be a great game, and both teams need this. Uh, I think Notre Dame needs it um, a little more, but uh, you know, Ohio State has no wins either, so maybe Ohio State needs it. Not not too dissimilar to. Um, Denver situation. I think that Ohio State's going to nominate dominate the faceoffs. And and going into the season, I would have said that Notre Dame and Charles Leonard would have dominated. But I just like the way that um, Ignacio is facing off for Ohio State. And I feel like I feel like if they get the ball enough, they're going to be a tough team to stop. Um, I, I just I'm a little worried about Notre Dame at this point. They just don't look 
they just they just don't look um, how, they don't look typical of that team. They look like they're not quite as good defensively, which you know it's probably understandable given that Bernsey's no longer coaching on the staff. And I know that they've got you know great athleticism as, as you've referenced many times, but they can't get their ass kicked faceoff X the way that the way that they have the last couple games and expect to win against a good team. And this kid Ignacio is better than the two teams that have beaten them up in the last two weeks. So I, I'm concerned for Notre Dame. I think Ohio State wins a game. Yeah, plus Ohio State has just got unbelievable wing play in Tarafenko. I mean, that guy yeah. just all over loose balls. No question. Um, okay, Penn at Princeton. You know, we've talked a little bit about this being a trap game for Princeton, and I believe that it is. Uh, I, I think that Penn is trying to re-identify themselves on the offensive end. They moved the ball really well, but they did have 21 turnovers against Villanova, which, which is a, a bit of a concern. They, they didn't look great against St. Joe's yesterday. I feel like they're in a little bit of a tailspin. And I think that you know, going up to Princeton and having to deal with Princeton, who knows exactly who they are. Their confidence is at a four-year high right now. They've got the player of the year through five weeks in Michael Sowers. Mark Ivanchek has played him well in the past, but this is a totally different Princeton team. You know, Chris Brown's playing like an All-American on attack. Robertson's playing great. They have uh, a competitive spirit in between the lines and athleticism to match that's allowing them to really compete in the middle of the field. Penn has got to dominate the faceoffs and they've got to they've got to protect the ball. If they're throwing the ball around and they give the ball, you know, to Princeton, Princeton's going to score goals on them. They're going to score a lot of goals on them. Penn's Penn's opportunity to win this game is Gallagher needs to go out and win 65%. And if he does that, I think that's going to be enough for them to win the game. But my money's on Princeton in this. I think Princeton's playing too well. They know who they are. And I think that Penn is, is on their heels right now. And Penn is on the verge of an at-large elimination, at-large consideration elimination. Mike Murphy might have scheduled himself right out of the playoffs, and that's going to put the pressure on them to win the Ivy League championship to go. Yeah, it's a big game for both teams, obviously. And um, I, I agree with you. I, I do think I think Princeton will win. Um, I think – the way that Princeton is using Michael Sowers, we've referenced this a few times on the podcast, but A, he's so unselfish. It's not like he has the ball in his stick all game long where you can basically just stand around and play play cutters. You know, he's playing in two-man games. He moves the ball. He gets it back. It does create five-on-five opportunities for the Princeton offense because sometimes he'll just kind of step out to the wing and his guy will stay right there with him. And, um, and, 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 you know, with, with freshmen like Slusher and all these guys, they, they can score on you five on five without Sowers, and then you throw them into the mix, um, and he's going to get you, you know, dodging goals if you don't slide, and he'll get you feeding goals either way. Uh, feeding yeah. goals either way. It, it, you know, it, I'm with you 100%. What, what Penn needs is Patrick Birkinshaw to replicate his performance last time he played at Princeton and that's when he was in a Virginia uniform and went out and had 24 saves and they ended up beating Princeton just last year. Yeah. Uh, they haven't gotten good goaltending. Penn has not. And Birkinshaw is a very good goaltender, but he hasn't played well. And he needs to play well because Peters at Princeton, in my opinion, to this point is a first team all American goaltender. And he gives them something that Penn has not had to this point and coming into the season, I would have said that Penn had the better goaltender. But to this point, nobody's playing better than Peters. And he may end up being the difference in the game. Yeah, I believe it. All right, Virginia at Maryland. These teams are almost identical to each other. You know, they both have really good face-off units. Not great. Not top three or four. Um, but they have really good guys. They both have unstoppable offenses with many weapons, many guys that are uncoverable, so to speak. Each are not getting great goaltending. Each, well, I shouldn't say that about Virginia. I thought Alex Rhodes, yeah, I think Alex Rhodes played well, but each has not gotten a great defense, in my opinion, throughout the year. So it's going to be interesting to see who wins the middle of the field. Whoever has the ball more is going to win the game. I don't think either team is going to be able to stop the other when they're on the defensive end. Um, but I feel like I feel like Maryland's playing better. They, they know who they are a little bit. I, I, I'm concerned about 
how hard Virginia doesn't seem to be playing. It almost looks like they're, they're coasting a little bit. And if this Brown loss doesn't wake them up, they could go play Maryland and get blown out. Um, but Lars, I'm sure, will utilize it and will reverse the momentum. But I'm, 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 gonna, I'm betting on Maryland this game. I think Maryland wins the game. I'm going to go with Virginia on this one. I think that um, – I mean, Virginia honestly, like, could have lost about five games in a similar fashion last year and just had miraculous – four goal comebacks in the fourth quarter. Um, I think that uh, it's a little bit back to reality for them in, in, in the sense that they're just not going to like pull out every victory. But uh, I do think the reason why I think they'll beat Maryland is, is, is I think that I think their defense is, is more athletic and is going to be better than Maryland's. Maryland's yeah. been, been squeaking by teams, you know, yeah. all not, not a great team right now. And they just barely um, squeaked by Albany. Now they did have a, commanding win over Notre Dame, but we don't know how good Notre Dame is. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I'll, go with, I'll go with Virginia. I'm with you. All right, Georgetown at North Carolina. Huge game, two undefeated teams. I've, I've gotten a chance to watch a lot of Georgetown, and obviously they haven't played anybody, so it's really hard to say. But what I, what I have noticed, though, is that I, I think they have good face-offs. They do have good goaltending. Um, defensively, they're, they're, they are stout. Their shorties are pretty good. And I think Caraway. Um, along with their lefty Canadian Watson and some athletic middies, um, give them give them a pretty. They're just solid, you know, and they don't really have a glaring weakness. Um, but we just don't know if they can compete at the highest level because they haven't had to yet. Yeah, I, this is going to be a really interesting game. You know, Georgetown has not played anybody, so everybody that they played, they should have blown out. And what did they do? They blew out everybody that they played. Right? They scored a ton of goals, and they haven't let up hardly any goals. And so all indications are that they're legit and they are for real. We just don't have a data point that documents that observation. They get their opportunity certainly against the heels this weekend. The heels are coming to this game knowing who they are with more confidence than Georgetown, in my opinion. I do think you're dead on. I think that Georgetown is dangerous in, 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 in many areas. And I think the heels are as well. Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, really interesting to watch this game play out. I just feel like North Carolina's confirmation of who they are with that win over Denver is going to give them a little more poise in this game if it ends up being a close game. And so I'm going to go with the heels in this game. I, I, I think North Carolina wins by two or three goals, but I could see it being, you know, something like 15-13. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game as I think both offenses are good. I think Carolina wins at the X a little bit more, um, but we'll see. Find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Well, I'm rooting for Georgetown. I'm going for Georgetown. We'll see what happens. Um, I think it is going to be interesting to see what happens at the X. Um, I think I think Georgetown's defense compared to Carolina's defense is, could be a difference maker if the draws are close. Yep. All right. Um, we've got Yale at Cornell. Massive Ivy League tilt. Wow. This is this is super high drama. You know, we did cover this when we discussed Cornell. Um, you know, the question mark to me is, what is TD's faceoff percentage? winning percentage after this game is over. And I just feel like if he gets 65 plus, it's going to go to Yale. And if he doesn't, I think that Cornell's offense is better than Yale's. Um, and I think Cornell's goalie is better than Yale's. I think Cornell's feeling it. I think Cornell has more weapons than Yale. Um, and I think that, I think the faceoff, Freshman faceoff guy is, is, is going to compete. There's no reason to think that he can't be successful against TD, at least at the rate of 40%. And I'm going to say that's going to be enough. Um, normally, I always bet on Andy Shea and Yale, but this time I'm going to put my money on Cornell. I think Cornell finds a way to win the game. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this game. Um, it's hard to bet against Cornell with the way they're playing, but I'm betting on Andy Shea and Yale. I think they are going to win more than 60% of the faceoffs. And I think that their offensive efficiency is still so good. I think they've got as good of an attack, almost an underrated attack, but as good of an attack as there is. 
and the way these guys bang the ball, their middies are athletic. So I'm going to go with Yale and like a 17-15 type of uh, score. I can see that for sure. All right, the last game of the weekend is going to be massive. Is Denver at Ohio State. Huge week for Ohio State with Notre Dame on Wednesday and then hosting Denver on Sunday. Wow. You know, I think this sets up well for Denver. Where's the game being played? At Ohio State. Ugh, that goes against my, uh, my plan. Um, I do think that Ohio State having to worry about Notre Dame midweek is going to give Denver a live scout opportunity. And you give Coach Tierney and, and Matt Brown the opportunity for a live scout, and they've got, you know, six days to prepare for a team when, uh, you know, Ohio State does not – they're going to they're gonna be in for a war on Tuesday, and that means Wednesday's got to be a recovery day. So they've got Thursday to game plan, on Friday to game plan, a walkthrough on Saturday while they're playing at home will soften the situation a little bit. I just and, and, and Ohio State has beaten them in years past. You know, it seems like this is a game that Ohio State has won in years past, but I don't think it's going to happen this year because I think that Denver's faceoff guy, Strathakis, or whatever you however you say his name, I think he's going to be able to compete at the X and neutralize the Ignacio advantage that Ohio State seems to have going into all of these games. And I think that with more rest and more time to game plan is going to be too much for Ohio State. I got Denver winning the game. Well, I'm rooting for Denver because I'm rooting for the Big East. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to go with Ohio State, especially if they can get the win on, on Tuesday. Um, just from a momentum perspective, you know, they're going to have to pre prepare for this game, but, they're, but they've kind of been preparing – you know, all along for the things that they're going to see. And it's not going to be all brand new stuff. It's going to be a lot about really how they play. And frankly, against Cornell, if they would have just not thrown the ball away as much, they might have come away with the victory. So it's, it's, I think it's a lot about how Ohio State plays for themselves. I do think that they will have success at the X. Um, and they do have – they have had a lot of success against Denver because they always throw zone at them for one thing. Yep. So it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, Denver will have uh, plenty of opportunity to work on that. Uh, but I'll go with Ohio State, um, and it's going to be an unbelievable week. I got one last one for you, Jamie. One last one. What do you got? I pick a team not in the top 20 currently that finishes in the top 20 and may be in a position to make the national tournament. Um, I would have to go with Hobart. I like that pick. Justify it. Well, I worry a little bit about their about their schedule ability to, um, you know, make this happen. But as far as a team that I, I watched play against Syracuse and I thought played every bit like a top twenty team, they look the part to me. Um, you know, I would say Richmond's probably in that conversation. Also, they've been in and out of the top twenty already. Um, I would have thought high point, but they, um, they've been struggling a little bit. So they're just going to have to win their tournament to get, uh, to, in their league tournament. Yep. Um, but um, I just love the way Hobart's playing. And they just, they just look that way in the dome um, and uh, rooting for them. I saw that game, too, and I was blown away by how aggressive they are. They, Hobart plays like a team from 19, uh, you know, 90. That's, that's the pace they play. You know, they play the way that Yale played during that year, the way that Cuse played that way, you know, the, that year. Brown, I, you know, they, they just push opportunities. And it must be so fun for the offensive players in, to play at Hobart because of the green light that the coaches are obviously giving these guys. And they've got, you know, the skill set to really make the, the best teams in the country pay if they get the ball enough. Uh, I love that pick. I'm going to go um, – I'm going to go with Chris Gabrielli and the Providence uh, Friars. Friars. Friars? Yeah, PC Friars. Friars. Um, remember when you dressed up like a friar for Halloween everybody, and everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did it. And you were like, I'm Friar Jamie, and you were skipping around. Oh, no, that, I'm sorry. That was somebody else. Uh, but uh, I, like, I like Providence as that team. You know, they've, they've had some good wins. And their only loss is to St. Joe's, which is also a team that I would put right there in that category. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised to see Providence make the Big East tournament this year. Uh, they are really, they're a really impressive start so far. And, and Gab's, is, Gab's done a great job. So that's my, that's my outside the top 20 team. Um, and yours is Hobart. So let's note that as we uh, move on in future. The 1990 reference, though, I think is, it was good. And the reason why you went with that, whether you realize it or not, is because they went to, you had, could only have four poles on the field in 1990s or a year after I graduated and it changed everything in the way people were scoring goals, including the UMass Brown game and the UMass Har I mean, the Brown Harvard game, they were like 19, 17 games. Um, I think you had 60 something goals that year as an attackman, but, but I was always so jealous that I had to have five poles and, you know, and you, and, 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 and horns on the end line. The other thing that always happens so they could sub their poles right in. If you took a crappy shot, That's um, not that, year. that was a big year. That's a great, that's a great memory right there. So, horns on the end line and the five poles. Five poles make such an unbelievable difference. Um, I remember, it, well, they had six poles. They had no limit on poles for a while. Like when we were in high school, my, my high school lacrosse coach was legendary Howard Benedict, one of the best high school lacrosse coaches in the history of the sport. Hall of Fames, many Hall of Fames. Uh, and worthy of all of them. And he used to have, he would on the horn sub in attack ride with poles. So we had nine poles on the field with the goalie off of dead balls in high school. Is that where you um, learned how to uh, throw ding-dongs and butt eggs and stuff? No, I just, uh, I just picked the stick up at camp um, in the summer following my junior year in high school. And I remember doing a one-on-one -on -one against Timmy Shanahan from Fairfield Prep, who was one of the best players in the state. And we were at Wilton lacrosse camp before it started. And, uh, and Timmy was a lefty, really quick, slick player. Went to Vermont, was one of the best players in the history of their program. And he, and he took me up the left side. And for whatever reason, I threw a fake front side slap, choked up and went kayak behind his head, and knocked the stick out of his hands. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And then fast forward four years from that, I'm working the Brown lacrosse camp, junior year, after my junior year at Brown, and Jay Jalbert is a seventh grader. We're playing in the Camper Counselor All-Star game, and Jay Jalbert running down the field left-handed. <laughs> he was a seventh grader, and he was unbelievable. But I was a junior in college, and the same exact scenario set up, and I had the pole, and I faked the slap, and sure enough, he cradled it backwards, and I slid the butt end down, and I snapped it, and I knocked the stick about 20 yards out of his hand, and he looked at me, he goes, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and then I talked about it, I, I said, do you remember? I saw him at a bar about eight years after that, I said, do you remember the Camper Counselor game at Brown Lacrosse Camp? And he goes, absolutely. I remember the whole, the whole exact scene. It was so funny, man. That's awesome. Well, I learned right around that time, if you had a pole in your hand and I had a, a ball in my stick to drop the ball immediately. Well, John Eidenberg, who was at Denison, when I, uh, when I was out working for Mike Caravana for a year at Denison after my junior year. He wishes that you did a fake front side and a back side. Oh, well, I did. I did. But the problem is, Eddie, which his name was John Eidenberg, Eddie was his nickname. And when I threw the fake front side slap and I was setting up the ex that same exact check, oh, I was whoa. setting it up. He stepped, he like leaned forward with his face and the shaft on the fake chop check hit him right above his upper lip and below his nose and his four incisors squirted out of his mouth whole, four one inch teeth, roots and all. And they went right on the asphalt where we were practicing. It was like February. And Brendan Gilsonen, who's a, who was a buddy of mine and, and, and was on the team at the time, uh, like, look, <laughs> I was a mess. Gilly, Gilly saw it happen, was like, oh, my God, and came over and picked up the four teeth and looked at Eidenberg, and there was so much blood all over the place, and Eidenberg was a was, – the kid was a hockey player in high school, was such a tough MF. But Gilly picks up the teeth and goes, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to throw these in a glass of milk, and you'll throw them back in your mouth. You'll be fine. And then he walks behind Eddie and looks at me and Mouse, oh, my God. And I was like, oh. <laughs> sure enough, they brought Eddie to the dentist. 
they threw him in his mouth. And while he had the Jan Brady, um, you know, <laughs> he had the Jan Brady headgear for all of spring of his junior year, which I'm sure busted his rap, they did eventually set. And he ended eventually being, he ended eventually having a great smile again, which is good. So it was a good finish. But it's wow. a good story. And it's a yeah. good finish. Good finish. <laughs> AD, always a pleasure. All right, we got some great games. We'll check back in. All right, later. See you. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. And you can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days.